to the uh, phone lines here, and our friend from Real Clear Politics is there, uh, Philip Wegman. Philip, hi. How are you? Not bad. Thanks for having me, Pat. Yep. I'm not sure that you've heard or not, but you know, we're, you've been around for, with us for a while, so you know we do penny pitch every year. We always try to pick a pretty good recipient. Well, this year, it's not just Honor Flight Northeast Indiana, but they have chosen since we selected them to be our recipient, and they are putting together an extra flight next year. The entire flight, they're all going to be Purple Heart veterans. How crazy is that? That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, 84 Purple Heart recipients and 84 Guardians to go with them. It's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, so I'm, I'm expecting uh, when word gets out in D.C. that, you know, we'll have our normal senator and congressman meeting us when we're there. I have a funny feeling some other people will probably try and come and uh, greet them when they land as well. So, Philip, how are you? Did, uh, did Thanksgiving go well? I think when you and I talked last, um, all the family from here was going to join you there. Did that come off? Yeah, uh, Thanksgiving went off without a hitch, and uh, a lot of reasons to be grateful. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, so very glad you had a great time, and I'm sure that they've all come back to Indiana now, so you're there free to clean everything up, correct? <laughs> yes, yeah. I, I know how that goes. Same thing happens when the in-laws are right here in town, just so you know. Um, so coming up on a lot of the things that I want to discuss with you, and I, I, I blew, here's what I love about about dealing with Philip is I threw a couple of uh, things his way. He goes, sure, sounds good. So <laughs> um, so um, in, in looking forward, and we've had some conversations here today about, you know, Trump, DeSantis, Abbott, Pence. Uh, but one of the things that I think that, that has caught my eye, I'm not saying it's, it's the nail in the coffin, it's the big doom or anything, but are you a little taken back, not just that some of the previous – Heavy supporters and donors of Donald Trump aren't going to be supporting him, but they've come out of the box already to say they're not going to be supporting him. What does that tell you? So the fact that donors are already thinking twice about a Trump 2.0 in 2024 is interesting. Um, I still have flashbacks going back to 2016, so I, I don't want to... Um, make any prediction because, after all, Trump showed that a lot of journalists didn't know what they were talking about when mm -hmm. he, he won that election. But, um, look, he, for more than two years, all but said that he was running for president. Uh, then last month, he comes out and makes it official. Clearly, he was trying to clear the field of any challengers, but that, that didn't happen. Um, in, in fact, the headline going into his big announcement was, is he actually going to declare for the presidency when Republicans got beaten up and down the ballot? Mm -hmm. And by the way, a lot of those Republicans, guys like Blake Masters in Arizona, guys like uh, Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania, they were the ones who Trump entered into the Republican primary, put his finger on the, on the scale, and basically picked out of obscurity. Turns out they, they, they didn't win. So... Um, you know, I interviewed Paul Ryan last week. Uh, his take on this was that nothing clarifies the mind like a loss uh, and lost majorities that you thought you were going to have. Mm -hmm. I'm not so certain that the current um, would be divorce with Trump uh, between Republicans and the former president is actually going to go through. Um a good analogy there that sometimes, you know, some people like a Trump or somebody else like to step in 
put their finger on the scale and tip it uh, in in the f- favor of their candidate and their own future considerations. That having been said, um, is it a little odd that some of the scales that he tried to push? I mean, let's let's take for example Pennsylvania. Okay, that was a very public, very apparent campaign, and there you've got Mehmet Oz against John Fetterman, um, and it was not. It was not a pretty campaign. You know, you've got Oz, who a lot of people at the start didn't trust. A lot of people flocked to him because they didn't like Fetterman. Uh, but at the same time, here you've got the lieutenant governor of the state of Pennsylvania, who really, because of no fault of his own, but because of his current situation, had trouble completing sentences, had trouble answering questions, was living off of giant teleprompters. And yet, even with that scenario— and with Donald Trump coming in and throwing his weight behind Oz, that still wasn't enough. I'll, I will tell you right now, Philip, that really astounded me. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, talking with Ryan, uh, you know, the, the former House Speaker, look, there's no love lost between him and Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, those guys have their differences. But his argument was, look, if David McCormick had won the Republican primary in Pennsylvania, he would have easily defeated Fetterman. Yeah, And, and you kind of have to unpack that a little bit, because um, when we talk about these primaries, remember, you don't need uh, a majority to win a primary. You only need a plurality. And uh, when Trump came in, endorsed Oz, that was enough to bring some new Republicans out of the woodwork and help um, the, the, the TV surgeon win the primary. But there were still a lot of um, grassroots conservatives, traditional GOP folks, who just never warmed up to us. They didn't, they didn't like him all that much. And, and they were actually pretty concerned about the fact um, that he lived in states outside of Pennsylvania. Um, and that hurt him going down the stretch. We saw something uh, similar. Obviously, it wasn't you know, one-to-one, but um, in New Hampshire, uh, where, where Bulldog, who is a, a retired Army general who, who's, you know, pretty unconventional, he won his primary with, with Trump's help, but um, he was just unconventional enough to turn off um, some, some independent voters. Ryan's uh, prediction was that, you know, uh, a more traditional Republican like uh, Governor Chris Sununu would right. easily run away with that race. Now, there's a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking that can go on here, and there's a lot of people who can say after the fact that if Trump had been quiet, you know, um, Republicans would have been just fine and dandy. I'm skeptical of that a little bit. But that said, Trump lost the Senate in 2018 and the House. He also lost the White House in 2020. And in 2022, um, you know, some of his guys had a harder time uh, winning uh, th- than we would have expected in an environment that doesn't favor Democrats at all. Yeah, and, and I don't think um, I don't think that Trump won or lost the Senate. I don't think he won or lost the House this time. Um, I, I really don't think I saw Trump's fingerprints on that a whole lot. Um, well, yeah, but the House races should have been a lot more. If Trump's if Trump's shadow was that large, Philip, 
I've got to think that some of the early predictions would have panned out 240 or 250 GOP seats in the House. And although I'm very glad to see a GOP uh, domination of the majority, and I'm glad to see Nancy Pelosi stepping down, it is not the figure that they thought they were going to be sitting on. Yeah, Kevin McCarthy was talking about 60 seats. Yep. Yep. And, and and so then you have to say, well, is Kevin McCarthy out of his mind? Does he not understand what he's up against? I think Kevin McCarthy just looked back on previous elections, saw what happened when you had a fairly decent Democrat in the White House. Uh, but on top of that, now you have a situation where you have a, you know, a problem in the White House. Uh, you, 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 Fetterman is nothing but an outlier of, of uh, the president because— you know, Fetterman can't end sentences sometimes. Well, neither can Joe. Um, and mm-hmm. and yet in the midst of all of this, um, the Republicans couldn't make hay on that. And that's that's the thing to me that gets me. What is it that they're willing to hang with the Democrats for? What is it that they – I'm talking now to the voters – that they feel that they're really getting out of this marriage between the White House and a Democrat majority – uh, because they haven't really gotten anything for it here in the first part of the Biden administration. Why do they think it will change up so much in the second part? Yeah. Well, uh, I think the question is, what did Republicans offer them, other than a lot of general complaints and grievances? They talked about how bad gas prices were. They talked about how rough inflation was. Um, other than promising to slam the brakes on some of this spending, uh, I'm not sure Republicans outlined a plan. Yep. And to, to relate this back to Trump, um, you know, he's he's running for president, and certainly he remains the most popular Republican uh, in the field currently by most polls. But um, you know, he is going to have to deal with the fact that um, no, the Republican infrastructure is not on his side. Some Republican donors are thinking twice. They're thinking about the future. Uh, certainly some Republican voters are looking for something new as well. And now he has to maintain momentum and fend off challengers between now and the, the first Republican primary, um, you know, ahead of 2024. It's going to be awfully difficult for him to argue, I have all the answers once again. Well, what do you think is going to be um... – the big outlier going into the debates like like okay if you're i'm not suggesting you run for president okay philip <laughs> but if you were hanging okay if you were hanging on the edge should i or should i not is the very fact that donald trump is going to be part of it would that be enough to warn you off and to say okay well then i'm just gonna have the earliest i can do it is four years from now because i'm not going up against that um I mean, there, there are some who think that Mike Pence is stepping too far too fast and being ready to jump into a race where he would have to be on a stage with Donald Trump. What? What? Let me ask you this way, Philip. What's going to happen if there are 12, and there are, if there are 12 major contributors to Donald Trump who said, you know what, not this time. And they are, let's say they split themselves between the governor of Florida and former Vice President Pence. What does that do to Trump, and what does that do to the propositions of those two men? Yeah, there's all sorts of different permutations that we could run through in terms of which candidate gets in, and if they get a certain percentage and someone else gets another percentage, what does that leave with Trump? Um, That's a lot of dizzying math. 
But the question is, you know, if he can still get a big chunk of voters, you know, it doesn't matter if the majority wants someone else, if they dissipate their votes among all those other options. So it'll be difficult. But um, something that I keep coming across is the fact that, you know, in 2016, all Donald Trump had to do was be a clear alternative to Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And he was always entertaining. And let's face it, his rallies were often pretty funny. Right. He's, he's a he's an entertainer. In 2020, though, he had to defend his own record. And that was um, amid a, a once in a century pandemic. Um, obviously, you know, it was a unique circumstance. But not only did he have to defend his own um, record uh, in 2020, he was only going against a, a liberal Democrat in 2024. There's going to be a lot of conservatives who are going to say, wait a minute. You you should have fired Fauci. You didn't. Uh, perhaps, you know, Governor Kemp or Governor um, DeSantis will say, you know, we we did what's right. right. Uh, or, you know, maybe Mike Pence will say, hey, let's peel back the curtain and I'll tell him, let's actually have a conversation about what happened behind the scenes. Um, you know, meanwhile, I, you know, I, I think that Trump continues to uh, make things difficult for himself with this uh, recent dinner that he had with Kanye West. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Truly really despicable. White yeah, yeah. Let's do this. Let, let's meet with some white supremacists in my own private estate down here in Florida. People look at that and go, do what? Yeah. Uh, and um, it's just, uh, you know, I think that if you if you talk to voters on the Democratic side ahead of 2020, they didn't love Joe Biden in the primary. They just wanted someone who could beat Donald Trump. I think we could see a very similar dynamic on the right, where voters, you know, maybe they're not happy with um, Kemp or Pence or Pompeo or, or whoever, but they say, all right, well, we think this guy can win, and we, we don't want to lose again with Trump. Yeah. Maybe that ends up being the scenario. That could be. That very well could be. The time has gone out. Uh, all the sand is out of the clock here, Philip. I appreciate very much you being on with us. Glad you survived Thanksgiving uh, there in D.C. with the family, and always glad to have you here. We'll see you again next week, okay? Good deal. Thanks, Pat. Podcasts by Federated Media.